In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren live together in unity. Psalm 33, 1. This psalm compares living in unity to fine oil upon the head. Have you ever felt fine oil running down your head? It's not like water. It moves slowly and smells fragrant and calms you down. Yes, a harmonious house is balm to the stressful soul and body. Good afternoon, I'm your host Vivian McNinney and this is The Sociable Homeschooler. What have you been up to this week? I love asking that question because I don't get an answer. I can just wait a little bit, half a nanosecond or something, and then jump right in with what I've been up to with no interruptions. Well, since no one out there is going to jump in, I'll speak first. The Reister News from Starbucks. Remember, I told you Malia won the coffee blending competition at her Starbucks store the other week. She blended one part really earthy bean and two parts fruity and more mellow. They named it Arapahojo, Hojo to me, and are selling it in the morning as one of their brews and also as a blend of beans to buy for home. Her name's on the coffee packet as the blender. Go Malia, the Rista extraordinaire. Anyway, the regional managers took some of her coffee to enter into a larger competition. So I'll let you know if anything comes of that. Now, what's been happening to me? My whole week's been taken up with moving and moving stuff around our house. It's the weather. I feel like it's spring and I've got the fever, the cleaning fever. My family find other things to do while I'm in this mode. Sometimes if they're not fast enough, I'll catch them and get some help moving a piece of furniture. It's too heavy for one person to heft upstairs. On occasion, when they see my cleaning frenzy hovering on the horizon, they'll even move out. That's what happened last weekend. My oldest daughter finally moved out properly. I say finally and properly for two reasons. She's always wanted to be independent, but that's expensive. So she's drifted away on long-term mission trips and short-term job opportunities, taking with her all her clothes and other easily transportable belongings that fit in her car. Then she returns to complete her education or save enough money for her next jaunt. Now, with college finished and a full-time job under her belt, last Saturday she enlisted the help of both her parents and moved into an apartment half a mile down the road. This time, she took her furniture, pots and pans, plates, and other disposable bits and pieces that were given to her until she can afford to buy better stuff. Although these days what people throw away is usually in better nick than the stuff I still have in my house after 26 years. I told her she won't be able to go anywhere as easily anymore because she now has large possessions to lug around. Now she's in the midst of adapting to responsibility. And her move had a domino effect in the house. First off, she 
didn't want her dresser. I loved it, so I took it in exchange for two ready-to-fall-apart chests of drawers that really shouldn't be anywhere but in a starving student's or young person's apartment, especially not in a respectably married middle-class suburban family residence. We morphed six drawers into three. We drew lots. We threw lots of things away that had hung around unnoticed for 26 years. Then I had a bare front room, so I rescued one of the divans that was doubling up in the teenager's lounge, as she dumped it upstairs, and dragged a coffee table and a bookcase into the front room with it for company. A vacuumed carpet and dusted blinds, and I have a very respectable guest room, my first. Then I started eyeing the teenager's lounge upstairs and imagined it as my study. That way I'd get my computer out of the bedroom, banish work from there entirely. Of course, since the upstairs room had belonged to a teen, it was bright green and quite electrifying on the senses. I chatted up my handsome cowboy and he spent a whole day, supposed to be dedicated to rest, painting over the offensive colour. Then we moved stuff upstairs and now I have two brilliant rooms. One's my study and the other's a guest room. In the aftermath of all this cleaning and reorganising of old furniture within our house, my hubby's office took a beating Everything got dumped in there. So he's now cleaning that out. He comes upstairs periodically to lie on the divan and nap to remind me of old times when I officed next to our bed. Malia bought herself a new computer and is cleaning her room next door to me. Good girl, Malia. I'm looking at my little Skype icon, and that's how I do the show, you know. It's wonderful, isn't it? Um, when we went abroad and the children were worried about being gone. And trust me, they were. Skype saved the days. It's the latest in our new high-tech communication tool box. Yep, hubby suggested that one. I'd have said tool collection or bar or basket or drawer, but toolbox works. Costa Rica may be poor, but the wireless access was incredible. When I was able to catch up with one of our children and video Skype them, I'd walk around with my laptop and show them the rainforest and the hotel across thousands of miles. That was great. They were able to ooh and ah from their boring bedrooms or places of work. In Costa Rica, we went to bed at about 8.30 p.m. to read. Yes, I know it's early, but there were a couple of reasons. There was nothing else to do. Costa Rican seaside towns tend to close down early. We didn't watch television, and our children didn't want to stay up all night on their computers, at least not chatting with us. We had to be up early in the morning for our, oh, number two, the second reason is we had to be up early in the morning for our first tour of the day. And the third reason was at 4.55, howler monkeys woke us with a start. They'd bellow for about 30 minutes. The first morning I got up to video and faithful hubby got up with me and asked, what are we videoing in the dark? I'm catching the audio on tape. He tried to stumble back to bed, but then the sun came up at the insistence of the howler and I noticed the hotel dining room waitress arriving for work, and it was time for breakfast. Welcome to the Costa Rican rooster. I'm exhausted just thinking of getting up before dawn, so I think I'll take a breather and go to my book excerpt. This week, I'm going back a few years to when I decided to take control of frayed nerves and angry outbursts. Last week, we looked at the surprise factor of anger, how it sneaks up on us when we're at our weakest One of my friends looked at me during a play date one afternoon and said, you never get angry with your children, do you? The unsaid words, I wish I was like you, 
emanated from her as she tried to pry my secret from me. I never get angry with my children in public, but get me behind closed doors. During these past eight years of exclusive exposure to one another, my children, now aged 15, 13, 11, and 9, have developed exasperating and curious ways in which to deal with diverse personalities that weren't theirs when the climate was clouded by ill will. I have to admit that I was not pleasantly surprised to find that each had his or her own unique way of marking their territory. My oldest son, Ian, by pure virtue of being the firstborn, thought he was an extension of the parental unit and consequently imagined he had free reign over exercising boundary issues and discipline within the house. He considers himself to be undoubtedly the boss of the children and police them constantly and mercilessly. When crossed or questioned, he used his voice-raising trick, which, since it broke at the early age of 13, has prevailed for years as a powerful weapon. However, to put a spanner in the works, the other siblings quickly expanded their selective hearing skills. Now they tuned out parents and Big Brother, whose new voice could overpower all three of theirs. I must mention here that there were moments of tension when his commanding voice disappeared into the higher registers at the most inopportune moments. Children are naive when it comes to tact. What I could see as a potentially explosive moment was viewed simply as a humour bite to be dealt with appropriately by laughing in his face. Big Brother's voice boomed even louder for a juvenile volume is a tool not to be taken lightly or hidden away. Ours is a calm household only during certain hours of the morning when it's still dark and a bird can be caught asleep. When dawn breaks, the silence is shattered in our peaceful abode and another day is born into our noisy household. Loud voices begat louder voices and go on interminably like the biblical begats that pepper the early books of the Old Testament. As each voice is layered, the volume is increased until finally, and the crescendo is quite a work of oral art. They are all, and this is the only word I can use here to describe their deep desire to be heard, shouting incoherent rebuttals at one another, resembling in sound a fast-paced ping-pong game. Harris, I told you to sweep up after doing the kitty litter this morning. Go and get a brush and do it now, Ian orders. You're not the boss, Ian. I'll get to it later, is her smart response. I said do it now, he counters. Ian, leave her alone. Her brother Simon intervenes for his own purposes, I might add, not to rescue this damsel in distress. She said she would do it later. She's coming to look at something in the creek with me right now. That's not important, Simon, Ian contends, picking a fight with his brother now. You know Mum and Dad will wonder why the kitty litter hasn't been cleaned up when they see it. He becomes the righteous son. Then let them be the ones to tell me, not, not you, Paris interjects, willing to allow herself to be reprimanded by the real bosses rather than by her fake boss brother. Don't you be rude to me, young lady. Now Ian's lost it and is mounting his high horse of authority. Don't you call me young lady. Harris can't stand the high and mighty attitude that is creeping into her brother's voice. I can call you what I like. Stop being rude and come and clean up. It won't take a minute. He starts to raise his voice for emphasis. I can be rude to you if I like. The love of the battle of words has just kicked in and Paris no longer wants to go and check out the mystery object in the creek with Simon. Leave me alone, Ian. I'm not going to do it, she says with finality. Hey, guys, I'm trying to study in here. Can you keep it down? Malia can't resist any longer and enters the fray with a screech. 
Simon is your cat. You clean up the kitty litter. Harris wants an all-inclusive fight here and recalls Simon onto the battlefield with her cry. It's not my day, comes Simon's justified report. Will you just do as I say and stop arguing, Ian Bellows? Ranking up the volume on his intermittent vocal cords and succeeding in being heard above everyone else. At this point in the action, if it were a play, I would give the stage direction to Exalt. My youngest, my youngest son Simon and um, Ian both had specific ways of needling. And I'll get to that next. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer, Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. Everybody in the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing? Chronicling her opinions on everything. The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Mom with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest today is Sarita Holtzman, the co-founder and president of Sunlight Curriculum, which she and her husband established 20 years ago. They provide families across the globe with the rich resources they need to raise lifelong learners who fervently pursue whatever God calls them to do. Sarita, welcome to my show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Um, Sarita, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you personally came to homeschooling? Oh, my. <laughs> yes, I'd be glad to. 
My husband and I were on staff at the U.S. Center for World Mission in Pasadena, California. We all, all of the staff members lived in rental houses that were around the campus, and the, the mile square where the campus was, all of the students in that area were bused across town to a sub-standard uh, type of a school. At that point, everyone on staff decided that they had to homeschool. I came into it kicking and screaming, or they had to put them in Christian school. And I actually ended up putting my oldest daughter in a little Christian school because I, I wasn't going to be trapped in that, <laughs> in that mindset. Uh, when my son needed to go to school as well, and she did very well in school, but um, my husband changed agencies and our support dropped $3,000 a month. And at that point, we were already living close to the poverty line. And my husband had met up with homeschoolers and said, you know, the kids are terrific. They're just articulate and sharp and out-of-the-box thinkers. I really think that we should do this. So I felt um, like that probably was what we should do. And as I started homeschooling, I found that I just loved it. Uh, it was just a huge mercy on this side of the effect of homeschooling to say, God allowed me this privilege, this enormous privilege, and I would not have done it except for the circumstances he had put in my life. So uh, it, did I answer your question? <laughs> you, cer- you certainly did, but I'm curious as to what put you off homeschool. I mean, why did you not want to be a homeschooler? Um, I just felt, well, silly me. I thought, you know, the schools would do it right. They had years yeah. of experience, you know, that whole lie. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think, too, you'd meet other moms that were homeschooling, and you'd ask them how it was going, and they'd burst into tears. It's just so stressful. Mm-hmm. On this side of it, you know, I think they a lot of times were trying to incorporate the school into the home, and I don't think that's as easy as uh, just using the more tutorial model, which I think is the most successful thing we can do with homeschooling. Absolutely. And maybe there was something in there of um, you didn't really feel as though, as though you had much choice. It was kind of everybody has to homeschool, so everybody did at the, right. uh, with you. Yeah, yeah. So um, the choice issue was there, too. You didn't really have a choice, so you went, ah, Christian school or homeschool, I'll take the Christian school rather than the homeschool. And I think, too, there was a lot of fear. You know, that's more than 20 Mm -hmm. years ago, so it wasn't as common as it is now and Mm well-known as being as successful a model. I think partially it was ignorance on my part. So -hmm. there were just a lot of things going on there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you said um, something about uh, homeschooling mums sometimes bringing the, the whole classroom into the homeschool, you know, it's kind of reproducing. And I've met mums like that who do it like for the first semester or so and go, oh, my gosh, I can't do it like this any longer. There has to be a better way. Right. Um, so um, could you tell me, do you have some um, ideas of what your big picture of, of what education really is if it's not kind of sitting at a desk? learning what the system tells you to learn. What do you think of it as education? Well, I think that's a super question. I think it's something we probably should ask every year. But where I am right now is I think we need to provide our students with a wide variety of materials to build them up in their cultural literacy. Um, Edie Hirsch has a book called Cultural Literacy, and in there he has uh, two essays that they give to junior college students. Uh, The first one is kind of a generic essay on love, and then it has a series of questions afterwards, and all of the students did equally well on answering those questions. The second article was uh, Lee, General Lee, and General Grant meeting at Appomattox Station, 
And unless the kids had the cultural literacy background to know that that occurred during the Civil War and that it was two famous generals bringing to close uh, the Civil War, they, they couldn't answer the questions. So the cultural literacy, giving our kids a wide breadth of things to read about and to think about and to understand their world, they have to have that cultural literacy in order to succeed even in the reading that they do. I think sometimes when we read the paper, if you don't have the background, the understanding of what's happening behind the scenes, I think you're reading up a crick without an oar. <laughs> well, I, I agree with you there because I, I was doing something the other weekend with um, my daughter. She went to um, one of her friend's weddings and they're dancers, and one of the people at the table, a young person, said to me, well, what exactly is modern dance? So I said, well, have you ever seen anything um, um, by Martha Graham? No. Have you ever seen anything by, um, oh, I can't remember right now off the top of my head, the, another famous yeah, yeah. Uh, modern dancer? No. And so I thought, oh, for goodness sake, I can't even bring that into perspective. How can I, how can I, you know, explain what modern dance is if they can't, if we can't, and that's not even going back that far. So yes, I know exactly, I know exactly exactly what you're saying. Right. So we want to give our kids a wide spectrum of information and reading and things to think about. Mm -hmm. So cultural literacy is the first thing. I think we must encourage our children to write clearly and well. And I, I think a lot of that can come by listening to a good written word. You know, so as we read to our kids and as they read, they get a feeling of what a good story and a good sentence sounds like. They, of course, have to practice. Unfortunately, it doesn't just come automatically. But I think yeah. we can really help our kids by spending time with great books and listening and thinking to what the cadence and the pacing and the, you know, all those good things that you get out of good uh, vocabulary comes out of our reading and writing. Mm-hmm. I think beyond that, we have to help our children achieve the highest level of mastery in math that they can do. And I think for some of us, we get a little intimidated as we think about teaching particularly higher level math. Oh, but there's some great resources out there. So don't let that become intimidating. Just encourage your kids to do the algebras and the trigonometry and the uh, and all those higher level math that you can get them to go to. And I'm going to interject here that if you can't do it yourself at home, um, there are wonderful co-ops out there that can help you. There are a lot of a lot of people that will willingly tap into the homeschool and um, help you with that. So. I totally agree, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it was even one of those things I was thinking about. It's mm-hmm. not something you have to be afraid of. We can find lots of resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we have to train our children to love the Lord. I think probably the best way to do that is not through workbooks, but just by spending time reading the Bible together. Uh, talking through the things of of the Lord as they come up, uh, saying to our children as they do things, you know, what would Jesus think about that? Uh, mm-hmm. Make sure we have encouraged them to memorize Scripture. Uh, just get that word hidden in their heart from a young age. I think uh, at this point it's almost, I should say this, but it's almost impossible for me to memorize. It's so much harder. When, it, when I was younger, it was so easy. We want to just... Uh, take those kids' brains who aren't filled up with all kinds of other things and fill them up with the mm-hmm. things of God. I think we want to provide our children with heroes. I, I'm just totally committed to uh, having kids read biographies of a wide range of people. I just love the fact that a biography can take just a normal, ordinary person uh, who God kind of lays a call on and have them go and do amazing things for him. I think we want to give our kids a vision for the fact that they, too, can go out and do great things for the Lord. Um, I think we want our kids to understand the big picture of history. 
I think in a lot of times in the school system, they uh, do more the lighter weight social studies, which is, you know, let's study the Plains Indians and then let's study uh, the Chinese and how they raise tea. And <laughs> I think that's less effective in giving our kids the big picture. I think we want them to see history as it goes from beginning to end and plug the social studies units into that so that they understand how people live within the context of the big picture. I think we want to train our children to think. And that's, that's tougher to do. I think particularly if you're using a more of a textbook approach, um, the one thing I wonder is as you get a textbook where you've got a team of people that come up with words that almost sound like gospel, that maybe our kids don't learn to interact with and fight with and say, I disagree with this. We want to train our kids to read. And um, so what we try to do is read a wide variety of things, not just a single person's writings so that our children learn to say, now this person disagrees with this, and let's see if we can come up with an understanding better of what we think uh, things really should be. We want to train our kids to critically look at, talk about the things they see in the paper. What do you think about that? And to think about how to evaluate the world that comes at them. I think we want to train our children to discern their strengths and career interests. And I think the way we do that is through electives. I know um, I'm not artistic at all, but I put my daughter in an art class, so you had to find an outsourced resource. That's right, yeah. And and, um, I went to talk to the teacher of the class, and she said, boy, if I had to choose between a child that works hard and has a lot of natural ability, I always choose the child that works hard. But your daughter has both. And I never knew that she was artistic until I had tried something that was outside of uh, my normal ability. I'd recommend that we do that. We test and see what our children uh, like to do. I noticed on your website that your child, you gave your child a a camera and he went off and got a degree in film. I had a child like that as well. Did you? (laughs) I did. His his first dream was to become an astronaut. I mean, young kids want to do that. (laughs) And so he was going to study in engineering. And um, I thought, well, he's really set his heights really high. Even if he comes down, you know, sort of five notches, he'll still be setting his sights quite high. And he decided to do film. And I went, well, we did theater. I gave him a camera. What else would I have expected? And he has a job, luckily, in in the industry. So he's been very fortunate. So That's that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And my son said, oh, I'd like to do film because I think that's the way to reach the next generation. And Lord willing, make films that uh, glorify God in that. So uh, anyway, it's just interesting as you give your kids uh, Mm -hmm. different tools for them to find the strengths and things that they'd like to do. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately we want to raise up children that love to learn. If we spend all of our years stuffing them full of knowledge so that when they graduate from high school they say, phew, I'm done with that, I never want to crack another book, I think we've really failed. I think we want to have our kids say, oh, my goodness, learning is interesting and fun, and uh, let me continue to do this, and let me learn this new skill. I think at that point we can say we have really succeeded in the things we've set out to do. Well, Sarita, I have to go to a break, and um, when we come back, we will continue talking about, um, I think what I want to talk to you about is your love for what you call living books as opposed to textbooks, and it's something that I chose to do with my children as well. So, um Join me in about 90 seconds and we'll be back with Sarita's talk about books.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Adoption, Journey to Motherhood with Mary Beth Wells. Monday mornings at 9, 8 a.m. Central. This is not your typical show about adopting children. This is a shared experience from Mary Beth's heart. Mary Beth will be talking about and covering all the issues pertaining to adoption, including adopted parents, birth parents, adoptees, foster care, and infertility. So... How did your journey to motherhood begin? Or are you still on the path? We want to hear all voices sharing their stories and talking about those issues that are so dear to our hearts. You see, Mary Beth is a birth mom that relinquished a child for adoption and ended up coming full circle by adopting two beautiful little girls from Guatemala. And that led to her starting a doll company about adopting baby dolls from all around the world so that children could choose their own doll and learn about that doll's heritage. For more on Mary Beth and her dolls, go to PreciousBabyDolls.com. Then join us for Adoption, Journey to Motherhood. With Mary Beth Wells, Monday mornings at 9, 8 a.m. Central. Remember, the heart knows no boundaries. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on Togginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their passions and successes, first for Debbie, FairytaleWishesInc.com. And for Deanna, TheNextBigZing.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. With the Soul Sisters, Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm talking to Sarita Holtzman of Sunlight Sunlight Curriculum. Um, Sarita, tell me what makes a truly great book. Well, and that is, uh, it's almost something that you have to feel. Uh, I think for me, a, a great book is when you finish it and you sigh and you think, oh, I'm so glad I spent the time doing that. And I think it has to have a uh, winsome and an interesting plot and characters that are uh, developing throughout the story. Uh, you don't want just a flat character that's wandering through the book. It has to have... Um, I think that there has to be a certain beauty to it, that it has to have language that uh, makes you just think, oh, that's a beautiful turn of phrase, or that just is, gives me such a beautiful word picture in my mind. I think it has to um, have a not uh, all bad and all good characters. They have to be more nuanced. I think as we go through life, we don't meet any really, really evil, you know, twirling the black mustache uh, bad guys and uh, perfectly good Heroes. I think we have people that are growing and maturing, and um, there should be conflict in the story. There should be something that the protagonist is overcoming and getting to the bottom of. I, I think there just has to be a sense when you get finished with it, you say, I'm glad I read that, and I can't wait to read that again one day. A book that you want to reread is a book that is, I think, an outstanding story. Well, there are certain books that I read over and over again. Jane Eyre is one of them. 
That's almost a yearly read. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I discovered it uh, when I was really, really young, and I just, I just love it. Um, but very often I don't find time to reread a book because there are so many books out there that I want to read. That's true. Um, yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm going, <laughs> oh, how could you, how could I even, my mother said she, as a girl, she wanted to read every book in the library. That was her wow. goal. And um, she is an avid reader and um, I've got that from her, but there's no way, obviously. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, There are just so many books coming out every single year that you don't, you know, really... So how, how, in fact, do you choose the books for sunlight? You choose them based on those, obviously you choose them based on those points. Yep, I read about a dozen books a week. Mm -hmm. And out of that, you know, there's just a lot of them that you think, oh, my goodness, I would never read that again. And you find a few uh, Mm -hmm. that you just remember and think are going to be outstanding. And I think if you find a good book, it's uh, something that's appropriate for all different ages. You know, it captivates you know, a good book doesn't just, you know, work for a kindergartner, but you know, a lot of times we'll have our kindergarten books and you'll have the whole family kind of clustered around because they're just, you know, a good book just pulls us all in, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, yeah. um, you know, when you're homeschooling different ages, um, that's what I like about um, Sunlight is that you, you give this um, age for, for the children. It's age appropriate for children who can actually read it themselves and then what age can they be read aloud, that right. same book? And so, um, you know, you, you have those books that the whole family can listen to or that, um, you know, the higher age group can listen to. But, you know, a lot of times, whether it's way over their heads or not, the children, my children just loved listening to me read. I used to read to them at lunchtime around the table while they were eating their lunch, things like Wind in the Willows. They yeah. loved that book and there's no way they could have read it themselves. They were way too young. Right. I just love the feeling it gave them, you know, me reading and the story and everything. So, Oh, that's a huge privilege that you've given yeah. your children. I think yeah. that's probably my favorite memory. My, my husband would read to my children every evening. We read, of course, yeah. as part of our homeschooling as well. But every evening, he'd have all four kids kind of jammed up around him on the couch. And, uh, you know, it was just that, keep on reading, Dad. I mean, he'd finish a chapter. And, of course, the story was compelling enough that he'd say, Oh, okay, you twisted my arm, and they just read yeah. for hours, and I just think, yeah. what a precious heritage, yeah. and can, yeah. good for you that you read to your children. I think if yeah. we can instill a love of books and a love of our reading into our children, boy, we've just uh, done a great thing. And so your husband also reads the books? He does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he probably read for an hour every evening to the children, yeah. and uh, we just were not a huge TV family, and I just think... Can children have a more precious memory in history than that? I, I think, too, that as you read together, you know, you spark conversations about right and wrong. You know, you'll have the children in the book do something that's not quite what your family would do, and you can use that as a chance to say, now that isn't how we act. What should we be doing instead? I mean, it's a chance to uh, discuss without the bad things happening in your own home uh, mm-hmm. the things that are coming up or could be coming up in your children's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of your one of your um, key elements for a good education was the math, and I I, I sidetracked a little bit on that and said, you know, don't be don't be worried, we can always go out to co-op. So how how you would have to use a textbook for math, right? You couldn't just yeah. do straight living book for math. Yeah, too bad. It's really true. I we do recommend that you use a textbook, yeah. and uh, but we also have. Uh, <laughs> interesting that you bring that up because we have a little dvd that we've put together 
where they try to demonstrate uh, the abstract math principles through the physical realm. That was mm-hmm. the challenge I gave our team. It's one we produce ourselves called Mathtacular. It's darling. Uh, basically, they'll um, line up cars and show patterns of the colors of the cars. And Because uh, math, of course, is a relatively abstract concept, and um, scholars say you should use a lot of manipulatives, particularly with younger age children, to try to demonstrate what's happening in that abstract realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that was a bunny trail, and yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, and I was I was completely useless at hands-on math. I mean, I I can only do math if I'm actually reading it straight out of the textbook. But I used a textbook that had a lot of written instruction. I used to say to my children, "If you have a problem, this is when we were doing like calculus or something like that. It's in the text. The answer is there in the written word somewhere. You just have to find it because they wrote so well, yeah. and um, in this textbook." And, you know, they were just amazed if they read it three or four times. They would go, there it is. There's the answer. (laughs) But you have to know how to read really well and comfortably in order to be able to do that kind of math yourself, you know, teach it to yourself. That's right. And so the most important thing I think you can do for any child is just get them reading, reading and reading. You know, so much comes from the reading. Preach it, preach it. I totally agree. You know, it's yeah. very interesting when you uh, see the scores in the paper every year on how the schools in your area are doing. The one score everybody hones in on is how are they doing on reading. And I, I believe reading is the key to all these areas. If you can't read, you can't understand your science books. If you can't read, you can't get to the bottom of your math books. If you can't read, you don't have the cultural literacy piece of the world. I, I, I think you're on to something, and I think we mm-hmm. can encourage kids to read by giving them stories that are interesting and well-written mm-hmm. and encourage them to love to read. And anything. You know, if, you're, if your child really, really wants to read an Archie comic, then uh, not obviously that's not all they're reading, but I would say they're reading. Absolutely. At least they're reading, you know? That's right. And, that's and right. so that was, no, well, you know, I'm just, I read anything. I read all the notices on the toilet walls and stuff like, you know, I just read everything. I'm just a... <laughs> oh, uh, you're my type of person. <laughs> yes, yes, completely. And in fact, you know, reading books to form a curriculum for your business would, would be, you know, sort of my, my perfect job. I would just love to do that. My children always said to me, if they were going to punish me, they'd send me to my room with a television. <laughs> no books, no books. You know, just go to your room with the TV because I don't watch television either. Okay, listen, Sarita, I would like to talk to you about your um, partnership with Mission India. And my first question is, why India? That's a really good question. Um, my husband and I, uh, uh, as we thought through how we wanted to uh, approach our giving to the world, of course we give to our local church, but as you uh Missiologists say that uh, 93 cents of every dollar goes stateside, supporting stateside missions. So our goal was to uh, trend, you know, trade, trade that over and give to what they call the unreached peoples of the world, which are peoples that have had no opportunity to even hear the good news. So that was our goal. We wanted to do that. And as we went looking for agencies that would focus on what they call the hidden or these unreached peoples, uh, we went looking for one that dealt with um, Hindus, because that's one of the key categories, uh, tribals, Hindus, unreached Muslims, I'm sorry, unreached Chinese, Muslims, and Buddhists are the five key unreached groups that missiologists talk about. Well, of course, if you're thinking Hindus, that you think India right away, because the majority of the people there are Hindu. 
And when you look at uh, the number, when you look at a map of where the unreached peoples are, uh, they put red dots on this big map, and India is almost solidly red. Just a key, needy uh, place where the gospel has not penetrated much at all. So it seemed like a reasonable way to approach a significant and important problem by uh, focusing on India. And um, I know I, I read a book about they were they were saying that they what they're trying to do in India is train locals, nationals, to go right. out there and be missionaries um, because they're a lot cheaper to keep, you know, to to upkeep than than bringing Westerners to India. And so, not not saying they're not going to send any Westerners again, but they were they are training the nationals. And I I just think that movement is just wonderful because they say there are millions that haven't even heard. Oh, the yeah. gospel, you know, Millions in these tiny millions, little yeah. villages and stuff like that. So. Right, right. And that is true. Mission India does choose to work with Indian Christians mm-hmm. who are um, passionate about sharing the good news for them. Mm-hmm. And basically what they do is just uh, send a little bit of funds to enable them to be able to serve uh, full-time. And mm-hmm. uh, they use a lot of volunteers, so it's a very efficient uh, model. And they found that uh, they have a great passion for the lost and a just a real strategic way of going about doing things. They train them in good uh, evangelistic methods, and uh, they go forward and have very successful, a uh, very successful model. Um, we're getting ready to go to my second break, and or my third break, actually. Um, but um, I would like to spend a few minutes on the other side, um, Sarita, just talking to you really quickly about how you, um, uh, you know, the homeschool community in Sunlight are sponsoring um, India. Something is happening on Monday. Aren't you starting on Monday or Tuesday? October the 5th, I think it is. Right. All right. So, um, oh, I have a minute. Okay. So there's a project that begins on October the 5th, and there's a website that people can go to called www.mypassporttoindia.org to sign up. And when we come back from our break, um, Sarita, if you could tell us a little bit about what that means. I'd be glad to. All right. And, um, okay. Um, <laughs> Should we talk more about this? All right, idea? we can talk a little bit. Well, it's, it's learn, give, and change lives is what, is what it's called. And um, Sunlight has a web page called sunlight.com if, if anybody is interested in learning about whole books and how they can um, subscribe to Sunlight Curriculum. Go to um, sunlight.com, very, very... Um, user-friendly website. I've got it up right now and I'm looking at it. And, um, okay, we're going to break. We'll be back in 90 seconds and we'll talk a little bit about your um, mission. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me 
and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Was sad, right? Cause he had a deaf dear mummy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, the ones never struggled to communicate. Y'all wave your hands. Look who's on. It's the Coda Man Keith and he's number one. It's that Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWanWANN.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number, number one, Keith's number one. Everybody back. Don't miss that Keith Wan show Wednesday nights at eight seven central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. All right, Sarita. So tell me a little bit about your passport, my passport to India. I'd be glad to. Um, for the last, this is our third year that as Sunlighters, we have sought to link arms and raise money for a strategic project. I think you'll find that oftentimes children in school go fundraising for different projects at their school. It's usually uh, materials for their classroom or things that aren't terribly important. Uh, what we're seeking to do with this project is raise a third of a million dollars in order to send a third of a million children to Children's Bible Club. Uh, what the Children's Bible Club is, is a two-week program where the Indian children meet after school uh, with a volunteer who uh, tells them Bible stories, leads them in Bible songs, uh, helps them with their schoolwork. It ends up being uh, their favorite time of the day, and there's a large proportion of the children that come to these clubs that actually get saved. It's the first time many of them have had a chance to hear the good news of Jesus, and of course the good news of Jesus is so compelling. So many of them come, and they actually have the chance to influence and impact their family. Uh, we know how the gospel can change a life, and these little children get saved and end up saving their parents. Uh, it turns out that the Children's Bible Club, which is what we're funding, which is one of the three arms of Mission India, is the most successful program at actually founding churches in India. So it's a huge opportunity to potentially impact a child on the other side of the world and influence and impact a nation. We just um, think it's a great opportunity for kids to uh, give of their treasure to uh, creatively come up with ways to raise funds, to uh, say, I willingly give up my money in order to uh, offer a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. I think there's something that happens in our heart and in the hearts of our children as they sacrifice for other people. I, I just think it's a way of, of changing even our children, not mentioning the children of India on the other side of the world. Uh, it's going to be a great program. It's um, five weeks on Tuesdays and Thursdays of every week. There will be a video uh, where there's a man that they filmed going to the first time to India, 
and they take him to see a number of features about India that really broaden our perspective of what the land is like. They'll visit a temple and a home of an Indian family. And so it's a great learning opportunity as well as Mm -hmm. a fundraiser. Uh, If you sign up, and there's, of course, no cost or obligation to sign up, please do, uh, they'll send you a little packet in the mail that has a passport in it and a few other uh, great things. When we got ours, I was quite tickled with how nice the kit was. Very fun to receive something in the mail. Uh, but the goal, of course, is to uh, raise a dollar and send an Indian child to the Bible Club for these two-week periods of time. Uh, they figure there are over 400 million unreached people in India. We have an opportunity to potentially uh, reach a third of a million of those, and we're praying that that actually happens. Well, Sarita... That's wonderful. I've noticed that you're um, aiming to raise $334,000 to send 334 children to the Bible Club. So that's just a dollar a child. So I've got your, I'm going to have your website on my um, page and um, hopefully people will um, see that and um, click on it. And um, thank you so much, Sarita, for joining me this afternoon. Um, Sarita Holzman was my guest, co-founder and president of Sunlight Curriculum. And uh, we just talked about her new charity project, project starting with Mission India. And um, she wants to send the children to um, the Indian children to children's Bible clubs. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed our um, talk this afternoon, Sarita. Um, thank thank you, you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed meeting you, too, even if we had to do it over the phone lines. <laughs> okay. So, well, thank you and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You, too. Bye-bye. All right. Oh, that was wonderful. And um, I have actually a tip for homeschoolers, which kind of feeds into what we were talking about, which is about which is what we all are. Obviously, we're all homeschoolers. Um, I was reading something this week on MSNBC News about some families who had homeschooled for a year to bike around America and Canada with their three-year-old children or sail across the Pacific to Australia in their sloop with their twin 12-year-olds. And the common thread in their stories was that they suddenly woke up and decided they were doing lots of urgent things, servicing their cars, working to pay the mortgage, maintaining their homes, but not a lot of important things like enjoying their children and each other. And my son, whose birthday's coming up this weekend, said that we'd always been there for the important things, activities were given, but things like stopping for coffee in the afternoons and having quiet lunch together as we were doing that afternoon because he just happened to be home between jobs because it was Funyan Day. And Ian is actually on the phone right now, my son, and it's going to be his birthday on Sunday. And I'm going to ask you, Ian, well, first off, I'm going to say hello. Hi. You can say hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Mom. How are you? Hi, Mom. Um, tell me, how did Funyun Day come about and why, 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 was it, why is it so important? Well, I guess... I guess you kept telling me that uh, I was supposed to be born on September 30th, and I think one year I decided to get the clever idea in my head. Maybe I can, maybe I can uh, finagle uh, an early birthday present on the day I was supposed to be born. Yeah. And uh, you, you were just as clever, and what you did was you said, oh, well, then here you go, and you handed me a bag of Funyuns because they were my favorite chips. And, that was that was your way of giving me an early birthday present without actually giving me a, a an early birthday present. Exactly, and uh, yeah, and Ian came over and shared, had lunch with me on September the thirtieth, and uh, we had funyuns with our sandwich. So, what are you doing, Ian, at the moment? 
Uh, at the moment, I'm organizing everything um, for the, the new business work that I'll be doing. Oh, okay. Um, getting, everything, getting everything organized and yeah. and, yeah. Buying equipment and stuff? Buying new equipment and making sure that it's going to get here on time and, and setting up everything to actually work with the new equipment. Right. All right. So. Anything else to say? You've got big plans for your birthday on Sunday? Uh, no, actually, it's going to be just a just a quiet birthday. But it was it'll be it'll be nice. I'm sure I'll be able to spend time with with you guys at the house and and just kind of reminiscing over 25 years of of life and homeschooling and everything everything that you guys have taught us. So you're not expecting a bounce house out in the backfield or anything like that. Well, you guys always <laughs> surprise me, so I, I there might be one back there. I don't know. Oops. Oops. Maybe, maybe I spilled the beans. Maybe so. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Ian. I'm going to say goodbye as I have to close right. my show now. So okay. It was great talking to you, and um, enjoy being 24 for another couple of days. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, that was my son, and um, he says that he, well, actually, he just quit one job because he decided to go into business, and he said, I really, really like to like my job. And I said, well, that's fine as long as you don't have these big, expensive plans like you have to live in these, um, you know, sort of multi-million dollar houses and have two cars and go on expensive vacations and stuff like that. And he said, well, I don't. I just, uh, you know, I learned from you that... um, relationships were more important than, you know, sort of spending extra time at the office and money and all that kind of stuff. And my actual um, friend, the um, well-heeled stranger, used to say to me, well, no matter how much money you have or how little money you have, it's always enough. And she was always amazed at that because her bills were always skyrocketed and, you know, she could never make ends meet. And so um, – Uh, God very often gives me a playful punch in my bicep when my children do that and say, listen, we, we, you know, that's what is important to us in our lives. And uh, he says, told you so. So my husband and I and our unemployedness have shown our children the really important things in life, not prestige or money, but time together to enjoy, cherish and nurture one another. another. It's not material, but ethereal. That was clever. That rhymes nicely, doesn't it? And looking at this lovely weather and the expanse of greenery that I have outside, um, I'm reminded of our stay at the second seaside town we visited in Costa Rica, Manuel Antonio. This small beach community was made up entirely of hotels. There were about 47 of them, in fact. There weren't any houses or anything like that. It was just hotels. And they were all located on hillsides with lovely views of the Pacific. We found our hotel tucked up on a hill on a little dirt road. It was all white stucco and red roof tiles, which we later discovered were plastic. An alfresco lifestyle was encouraged by outdoor corridors and sitting areas. Even the dining room and bar were open to the fresh air except for the roof. I'd never stayed anywhere so pretty. We were adjacent to one of the national parks, and when it began to rain, everything glistened. It began to drizzle as we walked down our little hill to the beach on a primary exploratory trip to check out the local supermarket and any gift shops. But when the rain became a little more than a drizzle, we fetched our car and drove to the nearby town of Cuepo. We walked curiously through every street and found it to be very poor. Because of the great outpouring of rain that happens on a daily basis, 
There are huge, leg-breaking concrete gutters that look like ditches along every street. I was very worried whenever we parked that the front wheel would end up in the gutter, thus rendering us stranded so I'd get out to direct my I'd-rather-be-on-a-horse husband in the safe way of parking. What if we did get stranded? Travelling without a cell phone was no fun. I never thought I'd say that. Listen up, children. Cell phones are useful when travelling in a foreign country. We sometimes saw people who'd broken down along the road, but better sense told us not to pick them up. So why would anybody stop for us? Well, it looks as though I've used up another whole hour, so I will bid you farewell for this week. I'm off to have Italian food with friends and then to see noises off at our local theatre. On Sunday, as I said on the phone, I'm celebrating my son's birthday with him as he turns 25. I was a youngster when I had him. We don't know what we're doing yet, but his father and I have apparently bought him something really cool, which he will unwrap for us on the 3rd. I may relax this weekend a little, though with all this extra time on my hands, laugh out loud, I find that hard to do. Thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Togginet Radio, my guest Sarita, and all of my listeners, especially Hannah, the St. John's, and Tina. Stay tuned, because I'm going to trade my cup of tea for a glass of wine. I'm going to call in to Ali LaPrate, host of This Little Parent Stayed Home, for some live coaching coming up next on Togginet Radio. So don't go away. Have a great week. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Number 6, 24 through 26. That was the New Century version. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginet.